thing patiently for a long time. And it is especially hard when you're suffering, when you're going through a tough time. To, to wait patiently through it is, is difficult. Uh, one of the things that uh, I have been aware of as I've, as I've observed Roddy and Jeanette's life as they head off today is uh, as an evidence of God's grace in their life is, the, is their patience as they've coped with Jeanette's uh, illness with her MS and sometimes the pain that just the drugs can't stop. It's, it's tough to patiently wait for the, drug, the drugs to work, for the doctor to come up with the right medication. If all the treatments actually don't resolve anything, it's tough to patiently wait, isn't it? It's tough to patiently wait when um, you're praying for your spouse who's not a Christian and all your prayers don't seem to have changed much. And there you are, you're trying to raise your kids to know Jesus and, and to cope with sort of the gentle mockery at home. It's tough to wait. It is tough to patiently wait when you have loved and cared for your kids and, and you've taught them the gospel and yet you see them going on year after year with indifference towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've prayed and you've prayed and it's still not changed. It is hard to wait. It can be hard here, but in other nations which are facing uh, great persecution, how much harder it must be to hear of news of uh, what's going on in Nigeria, just one place in the world where uh, the, the persecution of Christian churches it continues to be intense in certain parts of Nigeria. Still hearing reports of churches being built da uh, burnt down, of um, Christians being tortured, of uh, people uh, seeing loved ones being murdered and those who did that getting away with it and not being punished. How hard it must be to wait patiently when you're experiencing suffering like that. Why wait? Why wait? Well, open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, uh, page 1216. 1216. And I want to Rick, just sort of refresh your mind of a little bit of what Liam looked at with you last week, just to remind us the reasons that James gives to these Christians to keep obeying Christ and keep patiently waiting for his return. Because if you look at chapter 5, verse 7, he says, It'll be worth it. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for autumn and spring rains. Just like the farmer patiently waiting, and yet when harvest comes, it'll be worth it. But you have to wait. Or the next verse, verse 8, uh, he encourages them that it'll be soon. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And in verses 10 to 11, he tells them of two. It's because when the Lord comes, he will reward you. There will be a reward for those who patiently wait for him. And James illustrated with Job. If you read through the book of Job, what a, what a tragic story of terrible loss compounded by uh, insensitive friends who just have got the wrong end of the stick and, and compound the misery. And yet, uh, James says, remember what happened through Job's 
patient endurance of that suffering. He came to know God in a way that he never knew God before. He came to see God in much greater glory. He, he got to see God in his power and his majesty. And he also got to see that the Lord was compassionate and merciful. As by the end of the, of the account, uh, everything that Job lost is restored to him. So, my brothers and sisters, it will be worth it if we patiently endure. But the question is this as we go on to the next section. How do we keep holding on? It's great to know that Jesus is coming back with his angels and uh, that uh, they will be rewarded if we patiently hang on. But how are we to keep enduring through suffering? How do we keep going when it is tough? How will we, be, will we be those at the end who've been faithful and held on? How do we get there? Well, that's where he goes on to in James chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 5 to 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, this is God's word. Keep your Bibles open. Are we supposed to uh, patiently endure by uh, gritting our teeth and stoically just summing up all our resources to hang in there? Is that what James says? What's the repeated word he, 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 he uses there? What is it? Prayer. Prayer. And if you want to take one verse into this week ahead, I think that last sentence in verse 16 would be a pretty good verse to hold on to this week. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Or you could say this, the prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective because there's no gender in the underlying language. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I'm going to teach a little bit in this. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of preaching a sermon and I'm going to do, a, if I was writing a book, it would be a footnote. So we're going to go into a teaching footnote, and it's a long teaching footnote, because I'm actually going to maybe tell you that this passage is not exactly what you think it's about. But I don't want us to miss out on this main point. The main point of this passage is that we should see the value of prayer and the value of praying for others. Because what happens when a righteous person prays? What happens? It unleashes God's power. 
Isn't that incredible? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why is that? Because God has ordained it in this way in the world that he chooses to release his power and have his effect upon the world through the prayers of his people. Now, he could have done this a different way, but this is what James is telling us. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We unleash the power of God when we pray. Do we think that when we go to prayer? I don't think I often do. I kind of do it because I've got into a routine of doing it. What a thing to contemplate when we come to gather corporately to pray. When we get up each day to read the Bible and prayer, to think, I get right now to unleash the power of God in the world. Because I'm praying. Because make no mistake, when it says the prayers of a righteous person, it's actually, if you're a Christian here today, it's talking about you. Yes, we know that we are sinners, that we are sinful. But we know too that because we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who was the righteous one, the one who was always right with God, who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, something amazing happened. He died upon the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, he takes the punishment for our sin and we receive all his righteousness. It's accounted to us. We are declared right with God. So if you're a Christian here today, you are one of these righteous people. And you know what? Your prayers are powerful and effective. That's amazing. But what I've been uh, wrestling with this week is in what circumstances specifically does James call us to pray? So let's think about that. There's three. First one, when in trouble. Verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. When bad times come, it's a good time to pray. Those bad times could be just like the bad times that the Old Testament prophets experienced as they did their ministry. Just think about the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah suffered great opposition. What was Jeremiah known as? The weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations. Or Ezekiel who suffered bereavement, losing his wife. Or think about Hosea, who suffered uh, a marriage breakdown. These great prophets of old knew all sorts of bad, difficult times. And when you're suffering, God's word says, pray. But second situation, verse 13, it says, when you're happy as well. Verse 13, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So when your hearts are buoyant, when life is good, you wake up, blue sky, sunshine, uh, your body's not aching too much, you jump out of bed, uh, all is well, you think, whoa, great. James says, when things are going well, when you're happy, pray, sing psalms of praise to God. Acknowledge all his goodness in your life. Now here are two common experiences of life, aren't they? Uh, When things go really bad and when things go great. And actually, those are times that we can sometimes forget about God. Uh, When things go really bad, we can become bitter towards God. When things are really good, we can forget about God. And James says, no, actually, in both those circumstances, what you need to do is hold on to God in prayer because that will unleash his power to help keeping you patiently waiting for King Jesus who's coming back. To keep single-minded devotion upon Christ. Prayer is what you need. And then there's a third situation. 
where James encourages prayer. And it's there in verse 14. And this is where we're going to go into a little bit of a footnote. When weak. When weak. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, uh, if people are sick, I don't know anyone who doesn't pray to the Lord for help. And uh, we pray for one, one uh, for each other when we're sick and unwell. And before I really looked at James, I thought this was the, the passage par excellence which dealt with this issue. So if you're physically sick, call the elders, they'll bring some oil, and bish bash bosh, you're healed, right? That's what it seems to say, doesn't it? Bish bash bosh, loose translation. Um, but the more I've studied this passage, actually I don't think that's what this is about. Now, hear me out. If, you've got a, if you're discouraged and you're ill and sick, there's plenty of people willing to come and pray for you and ask for God's blessing in your life. But I'm not sure that we do so on the basis of James chapter 5. The more I've studied the context of this book, I think this is teaching about what you do when you are spiritually weak. When you're beginning to wobble as a Christian. When you're thinking about almost giving up on the Christian life. When you've got to that point where you can hardly pray for yourself. Then bring the elders in to pray for you. Now let me give you a few reasons to back this up. The first thing to say is our English translation has uh, chosen to make it a medical issue, but actually it could be translated like this. Is anyone among you weak? That word in word verse 14 uh, could be translated with spiritual weakness. So in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 11, the same word is used this way. Paul used it to describe the weaker brother who could be led into sin by other Christians. Or in Romans 4 19, uh, that Abraham did not weaken in his faith in God's promises. Is anyone among you weak? You should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one, the word is literally uh, the salvation word, will save the one who is weary. That word weary is used in only one other place in the New Testament. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it could be translated as a medical issue, but actually I think it's more likely it should be considered a spiritual health issue. That's the context of Hebrews. Uh, The Christians there were thinking about giving up uh, because of all the tiring opposition that they were facing for being Christians. They were getting weary. They were losing heart. Um, You know, we all have, uh, understand this, that words can mean different things in different contexts. So think about the word bright. The word bright could mean about light photons kind of hitting your eyes. Uh, but it could also refer to somebody whose intelligence is a little bit lacking or where they're at. You know, the teacher looked at the boy before him who was not very bright. 
So there's the same word, and it just depends on the context. And I think in the context, uh, these words are better put in the way that I've put up on the screen there. And it fits in with what comes in verses 19 and 20. Have a look down at verse 19 and 20. Where is it going to go on to? My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back. So, you know, these earlier verses deal with what happens if you're starting to feel like you're spiritually wobbling. You're about to give up on your Christian faith. You feel you can't pray for yourself. Well, well, call the elders to pray. Now, what about the people who've gone well past that point and have given up? Then there's teaching about what you do to go after them. And we're going to consider that next week. And think about the whole context of the book. What's James' concern has been? It's been about this whole issue of Christians being double-minded. Um, torn between loving God and loving the world. Go back to chapter 4. He says this is actually what's causing some of the fights that are breaking out in their churches. Chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And what's his counsel? Well, look at verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. I think James's concern throughout this whole letter is that these Christians will become complete Christians, mature Christians with single-minded devotion to the Lord Jesus. And think about the passage before us in verses 17 and 18. Why does he use this example of Elijah? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he gives an illustration. Elijah, a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. If, if James was concerned about physical healing, why does he mention this about Elijah? Actually, Elijah was involved in seeing people get healed. Remember, he even raised uh, the widow's son to life. Why did he not use that as an illustration? Why did he use the illustration of praying for drought and then praying for rain? Does it fit the context? And I think the answer is yes, it fits it brilliantly. Because what was Elijah's ministry about? Well, let's turn back. You might want to keep your finger in James. Turn back to 1 Kings, page 3. Go back to 359 in your Bibles. 1 Kings 18. Elijah's ministry was at a time where the nation was being double-minded. Instead of worshipping the Lord God had called them out of Egypt, given them that land. They were beginning to worship Baal. They were beginning to follow King Ahab and his wife Jezebel in their kind of push to worship the god Baal. And do you know what the god Baal was supposed to do? Baal was supposed to uh, be the god of rain, of lightning. Uh, and so God commands Elijah to go into King Ahab's uh, house, does this back in chapter 17, verse 1, and pronounce to the king that there will be drought. 
to show who is really in charge of the heavens. Right? So they're following Baal, who's the god of the heavens, of rain and lightning. And Elijah says to the king, it's not going to rain, so that you'll know that the Lord is Yahweh. And uh, he's so passionate that this, this nation would be united back under the worship of the one true living God and not be double-minded that, uh, that James says he prays that, they, that the land would experience drought. Now think about that. People are starting to get a little bit worried about, about hose pipes down south right now because it hasn't rained too much. But think about what it is to pray for a, a, a nation of Israel over there for three and a half years of drought. You are praying for the economic ruin of your country, aren't you? It would, that's what it would cause, economic ruin. And Elijah is willing to pray that because he wants them to see the impotence, the emptiness of worshipping this false god Baal so that the people would be united back to the Lord. And after three years and six months of this drought, on the very day that Elijah prays for rain to return, he calls the king and the prophets of Baal to a contest involving lightning, which apparently Baal was supposed to be quite good at because he was the lightning bolt god. And uh, it's a fantastic contest. Two sacrifices. Okay, you prophets of Baal, you pray to Baal and I'll pray to Yahweh and whoever... Uh, whichever lightning comes down and strikes we'll know who's the real God and uh, you know if we had time it's just a delicious story isn't it Um, but uh, look look at verse 21 of chapter 18 this is what it's really about this contest 18 verse 21 Elijah went before the people and said how long will you waver between two opinions If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And so as the prophets of Baal spend a long, long time getting more and more frantic and praying, and nothing happens, Elijah starts making fun of them. Not very culturally sensitive. Oh, maybe your God's gone to sleep. Maybe he's gone to the restroom. Pray louder. Nothing happens. And then we read earlier from verse uh, uh, 36 of how Elijah gets them to pour buckets of water, 12 buckets over the, the wood and the sacrifice. And then he utters this short prayer in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you see the power of prayer? The power of the prayer of a righteous man. It can cause drought or rain, but more significantly, it, it, it can, it's done to turn double-minded people into single-minded devotion of God. That's what's going on here. Now, that was my long footnote. Uh, some of you would have been thrilled with that. Some of you got lost and bored. But... 
You can listen to it again. I had to argue my case. Here's the main point. James is, is very practical. He knows that we struggle with double-mindedness. He knows that we can get weary. Spiritual weariness is a common thing in the Christian life. I think all Christians will go through seasons of spiritual weariness. James uh, has been described by uh, one author as a great book for the spiritually middle-aged. Those who are flabby and losing focus. As I get older, I'm finding that quote more harsh. But we can get weary because of the trials of life, the suffering of life. Life can just knock the stuffing out of us. And we can begin to doubt the goodness of God. And we become weary. We can grow weary because we are cherishing sin. We're not really obeying Jesus. We're not dealing with sin. We're just hanging on to it. We love it too much. And it will make us weary. We can grow weary because really we begin to be drawn to the attractions of this world and all it has to offer and all its apparent uh, promise of stability. And we can hedge our bets. Sort of trust God, but then really we're trusting the world for our acceptance and our approval and our security and our comfort. We desire to join the in crowd who don't really care much about God. We can begin to, begin to worship the gods that everyone else is worshipping around us. And what should you do if you are getting spiritually weary and weak as a Christian? What should you do when you're beginning to start to wobble and and you almost don't feel you can pray for yourself? Well, do not be proud. Ask for others to come and pray for you. If things get really bad, James says, call for the elders to come and to pray for you. Why the elders? Well, maybe because they can come and help instruct you from God's Word. Maybe it's because uh, as older men, they've, they've been through life and have been through some experiences. Not quite sure. Why anoint with oil? Uh, I don't fully know the answer to this, but uh, oil was used in the Old Testament to consecrate kings and uh, priests, to set them apart to the devotion to the, the Lord's work. And maybe there's something symbolic in this. As, as the oil acts to kind of consecrate the person, saying, I want to be wholehearted again. And if it is because of sin that you have grown weary, there are some wonderful promises here in these verses, aren't there? God will raise us up, verse 15. God will forgive our sins. Sometimes we might fear after wandering from the Lord, will he take me back? You know, I had this experience where maybe in the past I walked away from the Lord and I came back and then I've done it again. And, I'm, and I've come to my sense and I think, what an idiot, how did I do it again? And you think, I, I can't face going back to that church again. It'll be so embarrassing to show my face in there. They knew I screwed up once and how could I come back again? And they know... We get into crazy ways of thinking like that. Will the Lord have me back? Well, here's the answer from God's word. Yes. The Lord will raise him up and the Lord will forgive. What a gracious God. It's wonderful. 
That was the wonderful thing we heard from Andy Gamble last Sunday about the prodigal uh, son story. The, the, the focus of it all is the graciousness of this God who is eager to receive the prodigal home. But you know, James says, you don't have to just call upon the elders. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be restored. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we failed, the pride that is in us wants to run away from others and to put on a, or, or, or instead put on a brave face to make everyone think that everything's great with us. When in fact inside we've almost totally given up hope for our own salvation. We look around this room and we see, say to ourselves, well, this Christianity seems to work for other people. They all seem happy, they all seem fine, but it, it's not work for me. It's not working for me. Maybe there's no hope for me. Well, if you're feeling like that, what I want to say to you is that we should learn from James about the place of humbling ourselves and being willing to confess our struggles to confess our weaknesses to confess our sins to each other it is only our pride that holds us back from this and what a blessing one of the, one of the blessings of the Christian church and the Christian family is that if we're willing to confess that we are weak and that we're struggling, that we confess our sins and seek help, we can actually find there are brothers and sisters who will come around us and pray for us. That's what this section's about. When we're feeling we can't really do it for ourselves, get others around you to do it for you so that God's mighty power will be unleashed in your life. Christian life is not a solo sport. It's a team. Uh, it, it is a, it's a family. It's a band of brothers and sisters uh, who come alongside us in our weaknesses and help carry us before the throne of grace so that we can find help in time of need. What a blessing um, when, when we're wobbling to have friends who will spiritually come alongside and help us to remain steadfast and firm in Christ. That's what this section is about. So there will be those who go through those wobbly times and keep hanging on to Jesus. So at the end, we will receive this crown of eternal life, which is promised to, to all those who love him, it says in James. That's why he's given us each other. And so what I want to say in point of real practical application is that after church today, listen carefully to each other. Um, people say, are you well? And, and the instant glib response is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been in hospital for two weeks and uh, feel, feel pretty miserable, but, you know, it's great. One of the blessings of our fellowship groups, I mean, I love that we study the Bible in our fellowship groups, but sometimes we don't spend enough prayer in our fellowship groups. And if we could only listen to each other carefully, we may recognize that there, there are some people there at that point, there's some very specific issues, and what a blessing it would be just to kind of uh, maybe even shorten the Bible study. <gasps> Did I say that? 
and just gather around that, those people and just pray God's blessing into their lives. Pray the truth of God's word into each other's lives. Ask for God to unleash his mighty power, which is effective to change lives. What a ministry we can have. And you know, anybody can do this. It's not just for the able-bodied. Those who are feeling older and their bodies are stiff and sore, can't get out so much, can't do so much. What a mighty ministry you can have in this church of powerful prayer. I know many of you do that. And it is such an encouragement. Because actually, if we're wise to see it, there are people here today who are struggling, who are weary, who are discouraged. They only just got out today. They only just got in today. And inside they're they're saying, give me something, Lord, today for this week. What a ministry we can have to encourage each other. Right now, once we finish this next song and we disperse. Do you know, I, I, I'm really praying we get that building over there. Because there's so much more space for people to spread out and, and not rush off. So that we can do this care for one another. Listen to each other. Pray for each other. Um, that's one of the things that excites me about the potential of this new building. That we could grow warmer as a fellowship and strengthen and encourage each other and pray for each other. Do you know what? This is an easy thing to do. Someone tells you something, think, don't just say, I'll pray for you this week. Say, can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for you right now? Because when you pray, you are unleashing God's mighty power. Amen. Let's pray.